Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today, I'm joined again by lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about housing supply and what we should expect for the rest of this year and into 2023. First, here's a word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by PennyMac TPO. In collaboration with their broker partners, they designed Power Plus, a next-generation broker technology platform that offers a fast, intuitive interface with features and functionalities to empower a best-in-class lending experience. With an enhanced guided workflow, the loan process is more efficient, accurate, manageable, and convenient. The platform speeds up the process at every step, minimizing the time brokers spend on the platform. At PennyMac, being tech-forward and human-focused is why greatness lives here. PennyMac TPO is a division of PennyMac Loan Services, LLC, Equal Housing Lender. NMLS ID 35953. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. Conditions and restrictions may apply. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here, Sarah. Great to have you as always. Lots of economic news to talk about, specifically related to demand and inventory. So let, let's talk about pending home sales first. Yes, pending home sales down 31% uh, year over year. And you know, one of the things that I tried to get uh, the audience and, and, and viewers to, to, to realize a few months ago is that the year-over-year comps for housing are going to be very challenging starting from October, November, December, uh, because last year at this time, mortgage demand actually grew toward the end of the year, which seasonality really doesn't ever happen. Um, I could understand why that happened in 2020 with uh, COVID, but uh, last year was really abnormal. Mortgage demand ran up and took sales up. And the exact opposite is happening. So we're going to see a really, really big negative year-over-year data and purchase application data, which I talked about, you know, the norm should be 35 to 45% year-over-year decline starting in October. That's actually so far been exactly right in that range. And then if demand gets weaker, um, we should see year-over-year declines by 53 to 57%. Uh, just following on a on a trend scale, and uh, so, uh, that hasn't happened so far. But uh, since mortgage rates have increased uh, above seven percent, that's something to keep an eye on. But the pending home sales and the existing home sales data are just are, are going to have these really really big nasty year over year declines. They were already trending negative anyway, but the comps just got are just going to get a lot uh, harder uh, uh, on a year over year basis. So when we see that 33% number, what is the more what is a more realistic view of that 33% number because I mean that's huge. I I if you take if you took the uh last year's uh demand push toward the end of the year, you're probably looking in, in the kind of the 17 to 23% range. Uh, uh but you know the the sales data really picked up toward the end of the year. And, you know, existing home sales actually started the year at 6.49 million. So uh, with the new listings data that's declining, 
uh, existing home sales has room to go down for you know two reasons. There's the affordability hit, and then there's just the lack of sellers that would be traditional buyers. So, of course, this is all happening with the inventory data of the NAR actually declining uh, 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 the last two reports. And it's just this, this housing market is so much different than the run-up to 2005. And I, I always try to explain that because the inventory growth that we saw from 2002 to 2005, uh, sales was rising, inventory was rising, and then we had this big spike uh, in supply in 2006 and 2007, all when the unemployment rate was falling, right? It wasn't that we had a recession then, uh, much different, much different. Uh, it, total inventory data has been falling since 2012. The only time we saw growth actually was in 2014. Uh, this year, we, we're going to see uh, growth on a, on, a, on a year-over-year basis. And we're still below 2019 uh, levels as a country just because homeowners are, are set, right? So homeowners don't uh, move around as much as, as they used to in the 80s and 90s, and they're financially doing well. So the lack of new listings data, which on top of everything else that was savagely unhealthy about the housing market, is now a noticeable um, problem. Uh, because you always want a functioning housing market where people list their homes and sell and buy and you can get price discovery uh, better. What you don't want to see is kind of what we saw at the end of June, uh, where rates spiked up so much, uh, sellers called it quits, rates fell, sellers still called it quits, and rates went back up again and new listings data uh, is now... Um, per the last report from Realtor.com, is actually negative five percent year to date. So this is why I've always tried to try to explain about my work: is inventory channels are different. A lot of people assume that when demand falls, we'll have a massive spike in supply. They've said this for seven to eight years without looking at inventory channel data, because this is the kind of the fear tactic that there will be a mad rush of sellers. I've seen it for. Eight, nine years. It's a very uh, practical uh, scare tactic to get clicks, actually. It's a very effective model. They use all these things, baby boomers, Airbnb investors, whatever, whatever it is. It's not showing up. And this year, if you take the entire history of the U.S. economics, especially with housing, the purchase application data is already below 2008 levels. It's actually heading toward the 2014 levels, which adjusting to population was the lowest levels ever. And not only do you not have inventory back up to 4 million, like we saw in 2007, your inventory levels are not back to 2019 levels, 2014 levels, 2012, 2005, and 2000, right? So it's a different mindset. You're working with a smaller group of sellers that will be traditionally buyers. So it's a it's a it's it's an entire different conversation. And this is why like I've always talked about I always like to push people to 2018 and 19 because of the affordability hit is like a historical event because prices were rising and then mortgage rates are uh, had the biggest increase in recent modern day history. That's the savagely unhealthy housing market which was set up really in February. Of this year, so it, it the last, the very last thing the housing market needs 
in 2023 is for new listings data to decline year over year. I mean, that is like my number one thing. Uh, that means the housing market is functionally just like broken uh, uh, because sellers are, hey, we're not, we're not listing. We're not until rates come down. So I kind of thought about this in, in a hypothetical sense. What would have been like the perfect mortgage rate range for the Fed to get its housing reset and to have the inventory levels actually grow more? Um, and, you know, one of the things that I got wrong this year is, you know, my price forecast is going to be too low for where prices are going to end this year. But four to five, four to five percent mortgage rates actually didn't do the damage that I thought it would do. So that won't work. But five and one eighth to five point eight seven five, if mortgage rates had slowly risen to that and hung around there, then you could have had a more functioning marketplace where the new listings data didn't decline. And you probably would have had more inventory, right? People would have listed their homes. Days on market would have grown. I'm a big days on market growing guy. So I, I'm happy to see that we're at 19 days and hopefully we can get back to 30. But that would have been in, in a hypothetical work that doesn't ever exist. That would have been more uh, uh, suited because you would have more supply. And then when you have more supply, you have less stingy sellers uh, because people, there's so much more competition. But what happened this year, everything kind of went wrong. Uh, uh, and uh, um, housing went into recession in June. Uh, as soon as the 10-year yield broke about 1.94%, the, the, the marketplace changed. That happened in February. The recent article that uh, I wrote about mortgage, could mortgage rates go lower, you could see the bond market uh, um, channels there. That was kind of it. But it, it is discouraging to see new listings data not even finish flat or slightly positive. So I'm hoping that somehow the rest of the rest of this year we get that back to flat to some kind of positive data uh, uh, to get some kind of more more of a functioning marketplace than than kind of what we see here. The the good point uh, that we're seeing now is that even with very low inventory, monthly supply, and total inventory, there's still a uh, the, the affordability hit is still bringing pricing down. That is still a positive in a sense because the acceleration of home prices was a historical event uh, from 2020 to, to 2022. So there has to be some kind of, as the Fed said, housing reset. You know, we, we have to get off the savagely unhealthy market to a normal marketplace. And for me, it's always been the same. We get back to 2019 total inventory data. And then we get back monthly supply uh, at least above uh, four months. Let's talk a little bit about demand. You mentioned demand and the fact that um, it's falling so much. But I guess one of the questions I have is, you know, one of the reasons that 2020 to 2024 figured so prominently in your uh, model and in what you talked about is just the demand of people reaching home, peak home buying age. So those millennials, which we know is still true. So how does that, what is the intersection of this unaffordability with that demand of people wanting to start homes? You rent, right? Uh, it's, uh, you, you know, I think every analyst has to have a counter to their own work. Um, and I, I always tell people, Housing authentically actually broke out before COVID hit us. Uh, uh, it's just that we got that data in March of 2020. Uh, and, and I've wrote about this very prominently. If you actually looked at the March data, which is talking about February, existing home sales broke out, new home sales broke out, housing permits broke out. The bad part is that home prices were accelerating back then. Um, 
I have a f- functional number where I say from 2008 to 2019, we can never get total home sales, new and existing home sales to 6.2 million or above. We just didn't have the demographics back then. Here we do. So that's kind of my target limit that we should get. Uh, and we had that in 2020 and we had that in uh, 2021. But the only thing, the only thing that could ruin this is if home prices accelerated because it's just a straight affordability issue. That's all it is, really. Uh, um, millions of people buy homes a year. It's just a level of sales that people should forecast to where they think demand is. I mean, we're still going to have over 5 million total home sales this year. Uh, uh, so there, there's still millions of people buying even even now. It's the level of sales that people need to be held accountable for with their own models. And when 2021 ended, literally in two years, my entire housing model just broke because home prices accelerated. So affordability issue can be only fixed in two ways. Either mortgage rates come back down or uh, home prices come back down or home prices and mortgage rates come back down and then you get the affordability models back. And for me, it's you know uh, assuming that we have a 42% uh, increase total from the start of 2020, I like 19 home prices nationally, nominal, not real, have to come down 19% for that model to work again. Okay. So uh, again, 2022 will be another home price growth year. Mortgage rates spiked up. It's just a simple affordability data uh, issue. And it's not just first time home buyers, it's move up buyers as well. Uh, That is a big part of the uh, demand curve. And like I've always said, it, the, the housing market is driven by mortgage buyers, right? Mortgage buyers run the show, up or down, right? Look, mortgage rates went up. BlackRock and Blackstone didn't come in and buy up all the homes, right? Because they're so small compared to the biggest home buyer in America, which is still uh, millennials. And uh, housing stuck, right? And that's the, that's the fear. Uh, uh, and because the velocity of housing in a coming off of the weakest housing recovery ever, uh, it, it's it, it's not like the run-up we saw in 2002 to 2005. And this is why one of the articles I wrote, like historically, is a very important article, is the housing bubble 2019 question mark article that I wrote in 2019 to showcase that we literally just had the weakest housing recovery ever. And my work back then was always challenged because home prices were increasing. And that's like, that's not... That's not economics. That's just the existing home sale prices. That's a whole different thing. New home sales, housing starts, uh, a, a mortgage demand. It was going to have to work itself up to here. And here, just in two years, it broke, right? And it's just like the one fear you could have about a certain period of time literally happened in the fastest fashion. So there's nothing here except the affordability issue. So rates have to fall back down or prices come to that. Uh, fast enough to catch up to wages, and that's it. We're kind of in this tug of war between uh, 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 affordability and w- when will people be able to pull the trigger. So we talked earlier. Um, in fact, the last podcast that you and I talked about was a, a exactly about when would rates, you know, when could we see rates fall? You wrote a an article follow up on that, which was tremendous, where you really laid out the path for like. This is, if we want to see rates fall, here's the path to get there for 2023. But let's talk about home prices. So rates are one part of the affordability issue, but then you also have home prices. We are starting to see them 
soften. We're starting to see them cool. What is your what's your forecast for 2023 home prices? Here's here's the thing with prices. I always do my forecast at the end of the year, and I do it once. And the reason I I do it once because I, I, I don't like to do the 12 month rolling average that a lot of people like to do. Uh, because people get lost with that. You basically forecast one price growth level based on all the variables and you stick with that. That's how I've always done it for the last 11 years. Um, Because pricing has gone up so much more than my model, I don't want to be the cowardly lion and just say, well, home prices have to come back down 19% for my model to work, so I'm just going to use that and quit. No. I, I think that, that, that I just I, I, I just for the life of me, I, I, I've never understood why people want to quit. People actually tell me that. Why don't you just say prices have to come down? You, you, you've got it right for 11 years. Home prices. Are, I said, that's quitting. That's what soft people do. I like an old high school basketball coach of me when I used to tell the kids they have to run suicide lines. And I said, if you don't touch that last line to go back to end the thing. No, you're a quitter. So you have to work with all the different variables. And one of the things that matters is mortgage rates, right? And one of the things we saw earlier uh, this year, when mortgage rates came back to 5%, it didn't create a boom or anything, but it stabilized everything. So we want to work with, in the 2023 forecast when it comes in, we're going to work with all these different variables that the article actually highlighted. Uh, what's the difference now between October of 2021? Uh, the main difference is that the Federal Reserve has already got a lot of rate hikes into the system. The stock market is already down, which they want. Uh, the bond market is getting destroyed, which they want. The Some of the growth rate of inflation data that was really hot in 2021 is already falling. Rent inflation, you know, there's this huge debate about rent inflation. Rent inflation, the growth rate is already slowing. It won't come in the CPI until a little bit later. Uh, so we have to work with the variables that actually can matter next next year, uh, uh, and I don't. I just I don't want to be that person that just says, "Okay, well, my my model broke. I warned everyone. Here it is. Go at it." Because then you just basically have given up. You've got to look at the variables every single day and week and roll with it on a daily basis because things can change. And this is why I said that you know. My price forecast was too low, and it's going to be wrong for the biggest reason. I literally thought four to five percent mortgage rates would create purchase application data to be down eighteen to twenty two percent, and and that would would cool down the market. It really didn't. Uh, it, it really took six percent mortgage rates to see the decline, and because mortgage rates got to there a little bit later in life, the price growth uh, cooling down happened later as well. So we have to move with all the different variables. That's why like my yearly forecasts are so critical because we talk about everything and just go with it. And uh, as rates being at 7%, that means the buying power is, is, is so damagedly hit, people have to price their homes accordingly to sell. Those that are doing it uh, are selling their homes still quickly because you have a smaller set of, of sellers uh, the ones that are still trying to be stingy, their homes are staying on the market later and later, and some of them have pulled the, pulled the houses off. But as long as you have mortgage rates up in this level with home prices where they are, effectively pricing is cooling down and it will 
constantly cool down uh, until rates fall. But again, it's it's something that is much different than what we saw um, it, from the housing bubble crash, where supply just skyrocketed before the job loss recession happened. And this is why it's really interesting to me that back then the data was very obvious, right? Uh, we had credit stress in 2005. We had supply spike up. Uh, we had all these variables that were very easy to see in the data back then. Now it's different, right? You don't. You're not working from you know nine to ten months of monthly supply for the existing home sales market or four million active uh, listings. You're working from a very very small historical set. So you have to show that small historical set the respect it deserves. Uh, uh, and and rates at seven percent is pricing is going down. It should go down every single month uh, uh, because uh, the affordability hit is 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 legit, and that will impact the pricing going out for next year. But then you have to counter it with well, what if mortgage rates get back down to five percent? And that equilibrium you're playing with still very low inventory on a nominal basis, on a population basis, on a percentage of the household basis which makes it hard. I understand why people want to quit and just say, I'm just going to throw up a bunch of percentages. I get it, right? It's easier that way. Here, we just want to go at the data every single day, every single week, because some of the dynamics are much different going into 2023 than we saw 2021 going into 2022. So when does your 2023 forecast come out? When should we look for that? When should our listeners and readers look for that? It, it comes out every year at the end of December. Okay. You know, so do you, do you make people wait till like the 31st? Is it the 30th? Like, when are you going to write this? The, the last, the last week, um, because it's, 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 a, it's a one and done forecast. And I, I will tell you this, the 2011 and 2012, I had price declines because inventory data was still high. 2012, the market bottomed because supply actually, uh, uh got much lower than that year. Uh, I've had price forecast positives, 2013 all the way to 2022. That still has worked just because of the supply demand uh, 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 balances were still set for here. But now you have a much different, unique situation going into 2023 because on paper, if you look at housing, you look at, my God, total inventory is still historically low. When you look at monthly supply, if you look at that data, you would actually, well, the home prices should go up 8 to 10% next year. But this is why the affordability index models, every analyst should have their own, right? Uh, and this is why I talk about 2018 and 19 data. If mortgage rates had kept on rising uh, uh, in 2018 and 19, we had much, we had higher inventory back then. If that kept on going, you could have had prices actually nominally go a negative. Nothing like a big crash or anything here back then. Rates actually fell in 2019. So I'm trying to get people into that conversation because it's a straight affordability issue. It's not the major supply spike that people have been talking about for uh, uh, seven, eight, nine, ten years that people will sell their homes to be homeless. Everyone needs to get out. Uh, uh, it's, a, it's a very, very unique dynamic with housing. And uh, we go it this way, one and done, and then you roll with it and you don't revise. I just... I. I these people who revise their forecasts like every like three, four weeks, I just, I, I couldn't do that, right? You just got to stick with it and go with it and then work with the different variables. And uh, again, I'm going to be wrong in 2022 because my price uh, growth forecast was too low and rates did not get high enough until later on in the year. And the price 
growth that we had in January and February was just way too hot. So let's talk about supply for a minute. Okay, so you have pegged us, you know, we're in a housing recession already. Um, and you have your six recession red flags up for the larger economy. And we know that the Fed is looking to put us into a recession and put pain on the American people, have a job loss recession before they're going to start um, lowering rates or at least not uh, continuing to hike rates. Therefore, you know, some one of the things people think about, they're like, OK, recession coming, job loss recession coming. Does that mean that we're going to have a bunch of people have to list their homes? Will we see more supply from that just from the people who are losing their jobs? Here's here's something interesting that on, on the supply data going back four decades, the biggest supply spike in inventory actually happened before the recession in 2008. Uh, still to this day. Nobody talks about that, but it was actually 2005 to six and seven, right? That was the supply spike. That was the historical supply spike, and the unemployment rate was falling during that period of time. Uh, so that's why I always try to focus people on credit channels. Um, again, uh, it was very evident in 2005, six, seven, and eight that the credit markets and housing were getting very bad. Um, and people were listing their homes, right, uh, before the job loss recession happened. Uh, we didn't see this in, in other uh, uh, recessionary data lines, you know, especially in 2000, we didn't see a supply spike either. So when we talk about a recession, naturally, some people have to list their homes because they can't pay it. So I, I call it equity sellers. Um, if you're thinking about a foreclosure crisis or anything, people have to realize that a foreclosure minimum, let's talk about nine to 12 months, that process has to happen. You're not going to get like a supply spike in that manner. Uh, equity sellers, because there's so much equity that somebody assumingly lost their job. And you got to remember, majority of all homeowners are always working in a recession, right? The highest unemployment rate in every recession is going to come from people that didn't finish high school. Okay, they tend not to be homeowners. Uh, then the secondary is those who just finished high school, no college education. You have some homeowners there. So you're going to get an increase from that pool. But what happened uh, before and from 2002 or excuse me, 2005 to 2008 is inventory spiked before the job loss recession. We don't have that. We will never have that again. Why? Because the exotic loan debt structures that were prominent for the reasons for those sales. That was the housing bubble, right? It, it, what everybody talks about a housing bubble, but housing bubble is very easy, right? Demand crashes, supply majorly spikes up. Not happening, right? Not again. Why? Because we have to understand homeowners are in a very, very good spot. And unlike a stock, when you sell your home, that's it. You've got to find somewhere to live. So you really have to be in a bad financial spot to change your life that way. So a job loss recession can force what I call as equity sellers into the marketplace. Uh, people that have to list their homes to sell because you know the, 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 this is their biggest financial asset, uh, and we've had people do that. You know, throughout the last three years, uh, it's just that the demand is 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 still good enough to keep the supply as a as a total value, a total net number from from rising too much. Here, boy, homeowners are just great. And they decided not to even list their homes 
when rates got up. So when a job loss recession does happen, because for me, it was, you know, can we get to 2019 inventory levels next year? And just sticking with the forecast I talked about in June, I said, yeah, inventory can rise with the accumulation of of uh, uh, weakness or inventory can accumulate itself to get back to 2019 levels through the weakness of demand. That's how housing inventory channels work. But when you have a job loss recession, the first thing you want to see is, do we have more equity sellers? People have said, okay, here it is. I, 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 don't, have any, I don't have any financial reserves or anything, but this is it. I've got three or $400,000 of equity. I, I, I'm good. That to me has more speed in a job loss recession. Now the question is then the counter to this as well mortgage rates should be falling in that will the demand offset any of those increases that's why the supply and demand equilibrium is very crucial that's why you have to grind this out you just can't throw these percentage numbers out there without putting all the variables into the equation right because if i would have told if i would have grabbed every housing crash attic in america and told them that mortgage purchase application data would be below 2008 levels and mortgage rates would get to 7% before the year started, every single one of them would have said, we massive supply spike, right? Because Americans are not very educated. They don't have a lot of money. They're poor. They're whatever they are. Whatever it is, whatever garbage these people have been saying for 10 years. And they would be correct in that context. If they really did believe that, we'd have massive supply spike like we saw in 2005 to 2008. Don't have that anymore, right? So you're dealing with uh, a very solid homeowner that tends to be employed even in a recession. So you have, well, let's say we're going to have over 155 million people working, right? Let's say the job loss recession is is three to four million. Out of that, 75% of them are renters, 25%. You know, so you're you're you have to work with different pools of numbers, and you got to take it one day at a time. And you know that's why the mortgage rate is getting toward five percent. The stabilization that we saw briefly. In housing data, it wasn't like housing was booming, wasn't like purchase application data was growing year over year, but it stabilized the marketplace. These are the two equilibriums that you have to use next year. Um, again, the, the sixth recession red flag was raised on August fifth. Uh, of course, the uh, GDP recovered just because of exports. GDP was, was hit negatively because of exports, but the internals of the U.S. economy data is actually getting weaker. Right? It's just that the labor market is very solid right now and. Homeowners balance sheets are really good. Renters, different story. So we'll we'll have to go into that. And um, there's not there's no evidence right now uh, because we would have already seen it. And this is this is the main thing I want to let people know. If we had a housing bubble in terms of massive, you would have already seen the supply spike like we saw in 2005 to 2006 and seven. Right? It would have already happened. That happened before the job loss recession. Different case. Different, whole different discussion, right? And this has been here for 10 years. 10 years we've been dealing with this. Uh, it just finally got to a level that I'm not comfortable with. That's why I say that when we broke under 2019 levels, red flag, okay, this is a brand new area on total inventory. Uh, uh, we have never been here before and not with th this many people needing shelter. So uh, think equity sellers when you see a job loss recession. Don't put the weight on foreclosures, new foreclosures, because that's a nine to 12 month process. So that has to be usually the following year. And then you see with the Fed's rate cutting rates, mortgage rates go back down. Most people are employed. That's the equilibrium. 
kind of like what we saw in the 2000 recession. Uh, uh, 2000 recession rates fell, housing demand stabilized. Uh, uh, there was no real big inventory spike back then. Here's a much different story. Uh, uh, different credit profiles, different different total inventory levels. We're working from such a low level that if I can't get total inventory back to 2019 levels next year, my God, geez, oh, I, I, again, I, I have to create <laughs> a new word from the savagely unhealthy housing because my premise is that inventory can accumulate over time. And this is why I say the days on market getting to 30 days can get us there, right? Uh, we're at 19 right now. So we're working our way back up to some of a, a, a better marketplace. But one thing we did not see this year was a massive supply spike. Thank you, Logan. We are out of time, sadly, because I know you have more to say and I would love to hear it. Um, next time we uh, meet, we will probably be talking to the day that uh, the Fed will be announcing the next rate hike, uh, widely believed to be another big one. Um, so we will do that. But thanks for walking us through that. Really appreciate it and appreciate uh, the time that you take. Thank you very much. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer form digital content, the Housing Wire magazine, member exclusive rates to in-person events like Housing Wire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.